This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Flat, tedious, insipid, pedestrian, boring. No, not the latest iTunes review for this pod, but the mind-numbing adjectives you can apply to almost every Tottenham performance this season. They whimpered out of the Champions League without testing the AC Milan keeper until injury time. Are we reaching voice note territory with Antonio Conte? £15 million a year to lob on Davidson Sanchez with five minutes to go. God, as for Christian Romero, well, he is that kind of player. But credit Milan, who deserve to go through by more over the two legs. Also, today is the annual PSG are out of the Champions League bonanza. Perhaps not a hilarious choke, but outplayed by Bayern once they got their act together after half-time. Is the Neymar, Messi, Mbappe axis over? Who won't track back for them next season? After that, there's a Premier League preview, some Bundesliga and Serie A. Hopefully not enough time for Archie on Fulham. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hi, Max. Archie Rintut, hello. Hi, Max. Is iTunes still going? I don't. I don't know. Is that not where people find this nowadays? <laughs> it surely it still exists. As somebody with an iPod, yeah. um, I would love to be able to still sync that at some point. I swear, I don't think iTunes is a thing anymore. But it happily exists. corrected, I'm pretty sure it is. Is it? All right. Yeah. All right. Apple Podcasts, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts. That's what you meant to say. <laughs> on these things. Uh, Nikki Bandini, hello. Morning. Chris says, I'm just going to turn off the tumble dry. Hang on. That's a weird thing for Chris to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not really for Chris to say, but to, to write in and tell us. <laughs> uh, Chris says, if Spurs and PSG played each other in a Champions League knockout game, would they both somehow still lose? Or would the game go on forever? with all outcomes occurring simultaneously, depending on which set of fans are watching at the time. Let's start at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs nil, AC Milan nil, Strand Spurs. His fingers crossed there's an apology at the beginning of the pod because you finished moments before the Conte sacking. Ange, Poch or Deserby, please. James says, game hasn't happened yet, but parental advisory, for fuck's sake, Spurs. Uh, Charlie, nice of Spurs to buck the trends and comp- completely by playing badly in both halves. And Dee says, what organ would you be prepared to have taken out if it meant you could miss watching a dozen Spurs games? Barry, Spurs were appalling in this game. Yeah, it was a pitiful performance. Uh, no urgency. They were insipid. They played the first half like they were the team who had the aggregate lead. I'm not going to say they were better in the second half. They played with a little bit more urgency, but again, they gave made it so easy for AC Milan, who I'd say couldn't believe their luck. They're travelling to this stadium that should be a fortress. The crowd were silenced. The only uh, supporters making any noise were the Milan fans. And too many Spurs players didn't turn up. You don't know, was it their own lethargy or were they just following instructions or was it a bit of both and they had one good chance deep in added time that hurricane header which i think would have been an absolute travesty of justice if that had gone in and they may well have gone on to lose anyway in added time but i'd say milan left that game just going wow that that was so easy i mean you can go out and you can go down in flames as PSG do sometimes, or, you know, you can lose a thriller. But that was an absolutely dismal performance by Tottenham and a not entirely surprising one. They've now lost Sheffield United in the FA... Sheffield United second-string team in the FA Cup, Wolves in the league, and Milan in the Champions League in the space of a week and haven't scored in any of the three games. Poor Lars Hiverson tweeted last night, yeah, excited to hear from Tottenham's £15 million a year manager why a team sat back for the first 45 when they had 90 minutes to overturn a one-goal deficit. Hard to put a price on tactical acumen like that. Conte, Nicky, came out afterwards and said, in terms of history, these two clubs are on totally different levels. Milan won the Serie A title last season, whereas we scraped through by a miracle. If people think 13, 14 months is enough to become competitive, then they are completely wrong. I mean, that is disingenuous bullshit from Conte. <laughs> he's, he's always got a reason, Antonio Conte. And I was thinking last night about 
I mean, this line's going to haunt him forever, but what he said when he left Juventus, when he said, well, you can't go to a 100 euro restaurant with 10 euros in your pocket and expect to have dinner, you know, like, and let's take a step back for a moment here. Tottenham spent, what, 150 odd million, a bit more than that in the transfer window last summer. Milan spent about 50, almost all of it on Charles de Kessler, who is not in the team last night, isn't playing that much. So um, he's got as many euros as he could want in his pocket now. And this Milan team to talk about the history of it, I actually was having this um, on a radio show before the, the the game last night. Someone was talking about, oh, Milan with their European know-how and, you know, not wanting to throw that person under the bus. But this isn't Milan with European know-how. This is a team, half of which had never played a Champions League game before last season. This is a team that has gone through what I think started in English language um, Milan supporter groups and eventually transferred over to being picked up and used even by Italian uh, coverage of Milan. This is Milan that's come out of the banter era. That's that's what Milan have been for the last decade. Um, they're not this historic juggernaut. They're a team of, of a lot of kids, frankly, who are still working out how to play on these stages. And yes, I mean, Conte has always been uh, very good at coming up with excuses when he's, he's gone wrong. He's always been a huge disappointment in Europe. I mean, I, I, I tweeted this at one point last night. This feeling of you've got 180 minutes in a tie and, oh, maybe in the last 30 of them, we'll think, oh, we probably have to score a goal here, don't we? Is so familiar going back to when he was in charge at Juventus, is so familiar going back to when he was Inter. I'm not going to throw his whole career out like I feel like some Tottenham fans are going to want to do right now because they may be frustrated with the performances in general. And it is sort of worth reminding ourselves they're still fourth. But his European Cup performances all through his managerial career have basically always been a massive disappointment. Um, Archie, his contract is up at the end of the season. He was pretty non-committal last night. Like, if you were Daniel Levy, and we'll get on to whether this is Daniel Levy's or his culpability in a second, but would you get rid now? I guess the question is, are they more likely to get fourth if they keep him or they get rid of him? If I was Daniel Levy... I'd be still in hiding given how whenever anything goes wrong, it, it, it's just, it's it's that pot which is on a low heat all the time at Tottenham where you just know that as soon as anything goes wrong, whoosh, that's going to go up. He's screwed either way <laughs> uh, because of the situation that Spurs have got themselves into. In a way, it, it makes me think of known quantities and how... There's always this longing from fans of we want a guarantee from from what we're getting. And I think because of what Conte had done in terms of league form, at least with Inter and with with Chelsea, I think on the face of it, it looked attractive. But I think they've seen what Nicky might describe as the dark side of Conte. And that seems quite Spursy in itself to only be getting that part of him. And... I think it just requires a bit more imagination from from people on all fronts when it comes to hiring. I mean, you know, let's not forget that he, he took over from Nuno. And I remember watching his Spurs team live away at Vitesse Arnhem, and that was a struggle. Before then seeing Conte's team away at Mura in Slovenia, and and somehow that was worse. I think they have to hang on until the end of the season but but then at that point that's that and there need to be some some fresh ideas because you look at that squad and it feels like that it should be doing more and it it feels like it should be playing exciting football i i think that's part of it you you look at the names on the team sheet and i, I and that's why i think Barry's appraisal is is spot on because you're like well, hang on are you telling me this team is only capable of not really giving it a go at all. So, yeah, bizarre. I, I think, like, I almost sort of, without defending the, the football at all, which I think over two legs was, was garbage, bluntly, I think it's possible to feel some empathy for Conte as a person in the year he's gone through. I mean, Ventrone was someone who was really close to him and, and he lost that person. He's, he lost um, Gianluca Viali, who was close to Sinise Mihailovic. This was all um, I know. I think it was David Heitner wrote something about this for the Guardian uh, just yesterday. He's he's had a, an extraordinarily um, difficult year, and and of course the the gallbladder surgery that he's just back from. 
I mean, he talked about that as sort of being almost a, a, a source of humor to him. Like, I think that made him laugh. Like, oh God, you know, everyone around me has been suffering with something so much worse than this. And so it's possible to sort of take his personal demeanor and and accept that there's real life human stuff that's happening. Um, but I think you still have to be able to criticize the football because it's not like this has come out of nowhere. It's not like this is one one moment of this kind of football. It's It's been like this since he got to Tottenham, the European games have been like this. And since he's been at any top club in Europe, even when he's won a lot domestically, Europe for some reason has always been this impassable barrier for him. Yeah, and there was this moment, Barry, where he sort of uh, uh, he he took off Kulusevski, who hadn't had a brilliant game, but is creative and brought on Davidson Sanchez. You're like, are you are we trying to keep what what we've got here? <laughs> what, what what's going on? And I I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe Daniel Levy is unlike. He keeps hiring you know winners in inverted commas. Mourinho wins everything, goes to Spurs, doesn't win anything, goes to Roma, wins something, hires Conte, wins everywhere doesn't win anything. How, how much responsibility do you put on Levy? Because I feel like he did back Conte. He did spend a lot of money. I remember last summer we were going, they've had a good window. They brought in Perisic, Richarlison, covering all these long leg, covering all these positions. No, he, he brought in a proven winner who hasn't won anything because uh, <laughs> Spurs will do that to a man, an proven <laughs> winner. And he did back him. So I wouldn't blame Levy for this at all. I mean, that substitution was weird, but you could have sent on one of the ball boys instead of Kulisevsky, and it had much the same effect, influence on the game. He was useless, absolutely useless. Ivan Perisic was useless. Son, useless. Kane didn't do much. Uh, so many players had bad games. And I think they should just cut their losses and get rid of him now. You know, you say, is he the best person to get them to fourth? Well, What's the point in getting to fours? Like, why bother if this is what you're going to do in the Champions <laughs> I don't League? Dis- I don't it just makes people disagree. angry. You know, <laughs> oh, we really want to be in the Champions League so we can limp out of it with a, with a whimper again. So there's a lot of blame to go around here, and I would say very little of it should be apportioned to Daniel Levy. I'd like to hear Baz, the manager. I'm imagining Barry standing there in the dressing room just going round Look at him. Useless, useless, useless. <laughs> I'd love like, to see like, it. Like John Sitton. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, was, there was one guy who used to sit behind us at Arsenal. He could guarantee every single game. Dixon, useless. Winterburn, useless. Like every single game. Baz, when was the last time you did player ratings? Because I can imagine you just be going, oh, Kulisevsky, <laughs> four. <laughs> Yeah, don't get me started on Christian Romero, by the way. Well, <laughs> let's go to Christian Romero. I mean, all I see is a completely reckless footballer. Like, I bow down to Nicky. Other people said he was great in Italy. He should have been sent off in Milan. He was rightly sent off here. I mean, Dave says, you know, he must be racking up the £12 fines. Uh, Statman Dave on Twitter saying his game by numbers, 11 possession losses, two yellows, one red, one time dribbled, nor out of two long balls completed, nor out of five ground duels won. Like he he does this every game. It's just totally unsurprising. When when the challenge happened, like the graphic was up, like like the the the, the score had been put up on the screen. So I was like, that must be Porro because Romero's on a yellow, so he can't. I know he's reckless, but he can't be doing that. And then I was like, oh god. And actually, who knows? But like Tottenham were getting a bit of momentum. Milan were getting deeper and deeper, and Tottenham could actually have got through if they'd had eleven players. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Uh, it definitely, you're, you're right that we'd reached that point in the tie where Milan were fully like, okay, we're done trying to pre- attack or anything. We're just going to 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 try and camp out, and they didn't look very comfortable doing it. We did sort of speculate on Stan last night, didn't we? That maybe some of that frustration from Romero is how passive all of his teammates have been for so much of the game, and it really did feel like for the first sixty minutes of this second leg, Tottenham were acting like a team that didn't need to chase a goal. But but he's he's got this in him. I'll defend him, Max, to the point that you can defend lots of players who are like this. Um, look at Granit Xhaka's redemption arc at Arsenal. You can have a player who's like that if the rest of the team around them uh, can can sort of carry some of that responsibility for them, I guess, can maybe make sure that it's not just that one person going nuts on their own. I think he can be a very good defender. And I think having an aggressive defender is is an asset sometimes, but 
he was really stupid last night and I don't really want to defend him. And and he has got that in his game as well. That's not new out of out of nowhere. Jelly Belly says, where will Kane go in the summer? He's absolutely hit the end of the road with this terrible Spurs team. Glasgow RK Spurs says, is it time to stop blaming Spurs for Kane having no trophies? And maybe think about blaming Kane for not winning trophies. Dave says, will Kane continue to get a free pass from the English media for going missing in big games? Yes, he will continue to get a free pass from the English media. The BT Sport narrative, and it isn't just restricted to them, after the game last night, was very much that Tottenham have let Harry down. You know, uh, he'll surely leave at the end of the season because Spurs have, have, haven't, have you know, served him well and they've, they've let him down. Now, let's look at Harry Kane. He's played in three finals for Spurs. Two of them he played on one leg. Should he have played in those finals? You could argue, oh, it was heroic. Or you could argue he should have stood himself down and said, I'm not fit to play in this game. He wasn't fit, clearly wasn't fit to play in the Champions League final in Liverpool, but did play. Whether he was thrown in or just insisted that he was fit enough, I don't know. I have my own ideas about that. And he did nothing. He's played four finals for England and Spurs. He scored no goals in any of them, and he hasn't provided an assist in any of them. So let's not kid ourselves that this Spurs team has in some way let Harry Kane down when it comes to winning silverware. I would argue that on at least two occasions, he has cost them silverware by playing when he isn't fit. Um, Richarlison said, I'm honest, this season has been shit. (laughs) 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 I want to play, he told TNT Sport. I didn't understand... Conte's choices. I was in a positive moment and Conte put me on the bench again yesterday. He tested me in the starting 11 and then bench again. So uh, we like I like honesty from footballers. And like if Kane does go, which he could do, then, you know, Richarlison would presumably start as the number nine. Um, Nicky, I even wrote it in the script. Apologies for not discussing them until now. <laughs> it is a great, great victory for AC Milan, isn't it? The big picture for Milan, which we've already sort of talked about a little bit, like this is another sort of step in this coming out of this banter era of coming out of this 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 grim sort of decade-long chapter in your club's history and I remember Max doing um the the Champions League game against Liverpool with you last season on Stan Sports and and people in the Stan studio were sort of I guess laughing a bit about the fact that there were people in Milan fans in the stadium crying and I was saying this is a club that really identified itself for such a long time as a European side. While Juventus were the most successful domestic team in Italy, Milan's whole idea of itself was, no, but we're the team that goes and represents Italy in Europe. We're the one that goes and wins the Champions League. We're the one that's second only to Real Madrid in terms of winning that competition. And to be absent from that competition for, for, for so long was a real identity crisis for them. And so getting back to the quarterfinals for the first time in 11 years, it's it's a real moment. But I also want to just talk about the players because that's like the big picture concept. I thought, you know, Barry was talking just now about Kulisevsky and having no impact across two legs, and it's true. But how much that is because you've got three young centre-backs in the first game. They also had Gary in there, who isn't young, but this game, Chow, Kalulu and Tamori, who I thought were brilliant in this game. I thought... Aside from that one moment at the end when Harry Kane got his his header off and then you had someone else who was brilliant, Mike Mannion, and what a difference having him back in goal makes for Milan. That's impossible to overstate because it's not just him making that save at the end. Look at the end of the first half when there was a cross came in from somewhere and Mayan grabs it and launches it for an immediate counter that doesn't lead to anything, but it's just things that absolutely have not been happening this whole season, basically, with Tatarishanu in goal. The difference between last season's Milan and this season's Milan, some of it does come down to having literally one of the best goalkeepers in Europe, I think, Mike Mayan, when he's when he's healthy. I think France missed him at the World Cup and Milan have missed him horribly all, all season. I think he's, he's a brilliant goalkeeper. Um, but Malik Chow, I think in particular, has popped up from from nowhere in effect at Milan. He's someone who is yet another of these purely, I don't know, revelations purely, whose greatest strength without question is bringing through young players. I thought he was brilliant in the first leg when he played as a left centre-back with Chiara in the middle. This game, he's in the middle. He's the one responsible for Harry Kane. I thought he was fantastic again. So there's there's some really impressive performances in there for Milan. I know it wasn't a spectacle to watch, but but there were some individually really, really impressive performances. And I thought uh, Teo Hernandez as well on the left gave one of his better performances in Europe for them as well. 
All right, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll discuss uh, PSG going out of the Champions League, as they always do. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Alex says, I can't wait for the annual PSG knocked out of the Champions League chuckle by Barry. And do we need a better phrase for it? Barca Jim, our mate, PSG getting hoarsed out of the Champions League. Is that a early birthday present for Barry? Um, horsed out is probably the way of pronouncing that. Um, Keith, how much money has Messi saved in not having to buy his PSG teammates gold iPhones? <laughs> and <laughs> Mike says, can't wait for Barry to go in two-footed on PSG again. I'll start with Bayern, if you don't mind, Barry. And people want the PSG chat, of course. I'll be honest, it's getting a bit tedious at this stage because it was so monotonously predictable. This yeah. wasn't even a fun exit. It was just routine. No. Yeah, and actually, Archie, you were there. And actually, the first half, PSG might have been slightly better, but once Bayern changed it, and over the two legs, they were just vastly superior, weren't they? You say Bayern changing it. I think what changed it was the injury to Marquinhos... 10 minutes before half time because until then Bayern hadn't really looked like scoring in fact it was PSG who looked far more likely on that front and it there was thoughts of well hang on what are Bayern doing here and it's the first time I can remember something approaching a cautious approach from Julian Nagelsmann in a big game because he's usually so attacking but I, I spoke to him after the game and he, the way he put it was that actually the plan in the first half just didn't go according to plan um, and that they required more patience, which was a bit rich coming from him, given that any time you saw him on the touchline, he was jumping up and down like a lunatic. And you're wondering, how are you meant to exude patience to your players when uh, when if, 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 if that's what you want? But yeah, I think that the injury to Marquinhos made a big difference. Bayern then started to find that extra man and disappeared uh, and PSG disappeared in the second half. Uh, the, the, for me, it, it's about two two moments where uh, in the first half, Jan Sommer got away with it big time uh, when losing the ball and Vitinha has an open goal, but there's Matej De Ligt to clear off the line. The second game running, by the way, that De Ligt has bailed out Sommer because at Stuttgart at the weekend, Sommer came to claim a cross, failed, Ball was drifting in and Delish bails him out. Uh, Jan Sommer said to me after the game that he's going to buy Delish a lot of Swiss chocolate. And I think at the very least at this rate. Uh, and then in the second half, you had when uh, PSG substitute for a substitute, Bichiabu came on for Mukele, who'd replaced Marquinhos. He played the ball to Verratti and, and Verratti, I lo lost the ball, wasn't aware of quite how close Goretzka and Muller were. And he he was appealing for a foul as Chupamoting slid the ball in, and it, it was funny because he was protesting so furiously to to the referee, and yet the, the the most telling sign for me was there was nobody off the PSG bench. It was just quiet. Like you would expect for that kind of moment that everybody be would, would be up at the fourth official, and it's like this tells me a it's game over, and b it wasn't a foul. It did reek of total desperation actually those complaints to the referees just disallow it just disallowed for something anything you know i've no idea <laughs> if anything illegal happened but please just check um i do love the fact that jan sommer is going to reward matthias delict for his speed and agility in a crisis by feeding him loads of chocolate, which will make him fat and slow him down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so much um, Archie was was made before this game was a, was about Kylian Mbappe, right? He did change the first leg. He was brilliant when he came on. And he didn't really do anything. Who should I give credit to for that? Josip Stanisic had a decent game, I I'd say. But there are moments... Uh, in in each half where I can think of uh, a Bayern defender stopping him. Alfonso Davies, for example, arriving at the same time to block a shot from him in the second half. I can think of a, of a great moment for almost each Bayern defender where they stopped either Mbappe or Messi last night. So, yeah, in, in, in that sense, that they've stopped him from, from scoring in, in both legs. Jan Sommer, again, uh, coming up trumps against him. Which which feels maybe a bit rich to say after after the mistake he made, but let's not forget 
when he uh, saved Mbappe's uh, decisive penalty in Euro 2020 as well. So he's got a bit of a run on him. And should emphasize, this is a huge win for Julian Nagelsmann, who was under serious pressure before this game. He he said in an interview last night that, I mean, everyone in the media is talking about me. I don't know why, but but, but you do know why. <laughs> because if if you lost to Villarreal last year and he'd gone out here, his job would have been under serious scrutiny. And he, he had to win this just to give himself some breathing space. And yeah, on, on the other hand, uh, I think this means au revoir to Christophe Galtier. PSG come the end of the season because yeah the look the Marquinhos injury was unfortunate but just how how they looked in the second half we've been speaking about Spurs um I I, I wouldn't say there was that much ambition there Sergio Ramos had his usual danger about him from set pieces but there Jan Sommer redeemed himself with a fantastic save as well so yeah um Bayern deservedly through and huge result for their season. I, you, you could feel it from the fans as well. I'm used to a complete non-atmosphere at the Allianz Arena. And suddenly it's like, hang on, we all care about this. When uh, usually after the fourth goal goes in against Mainz, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, great. You know, like when, you know, entertain us, do something. But it's like, okay, this matters. Um, Fraser says, is Eric Chupamoting trapped in some sort of netherworld between Munich and Paris? Playing and scoring in these games is seems to be the only thing that he does. Um, like, I mean, the goal had been coming. I felt it was pretty easy for Bayern after that. The, que- the big question now, Nicky, is what next for PSG? I was wondering if Chupamoting has become like the reverse of the old like cliche phrase, he can score on a wet Wednesday night anywhere except for Stoke because I don't remember him <laughs> scoring at Stoke no. very, very often at all. But he seems to have no problem doing it on these on these big uh, Champions League nights. I mean, it's got to be. It's really hard with a club like PSG who've become like this sort of cultural lightning rod almost to separate out the fact that there is all the grossness and there's also probably some fans who've just supported Paris Saint Germain their whole life. But it's got to be on some level frustrating as a supporter of that club to think we've gone and we've got literally the two stars of the World Cup final. I mean, from the sort of, I don't know, the, the sports washing point of view of it, we talked about it after the, the World Cup final. I mean, you could not have asked for a better scenario for Qatar than having both of your two PSG players on either end of the World Cup final. So you've got them now and here they are playing in your super club. And then you're knocked out of Europe by one player who you threw away and Kingsley Coman who was in your youth system like this sort of complete sort of inability to hold on to the players who end up making the difference in the big games even though you've signed the biggest and and, and most important ones on on paper I don't know it's it's it feels like it's a a perpetual cycle that will will never end at, at PSG until perhaps Qatar get bored and by Manchester United instead I am curious to know if the many, many Manchester United fans were desperate for the sports washers of Qatar to take over their local cultural institution. Might look at what's going on at PSG and think, hmm, maybe, maybe it isn't all the land of milk and honey. Maybe it might not be such a good idea if they buy our club. But I, I doubt it. They'll just see a, 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 an Mbappe and a Messi and the possibilities of embarrassing. Champions League exits that lie ahead. Uh, my understanding is that that Mbappe has got a year left on his contract, and PSG won't let him go. Messi is Messi's dad's meeting the head of PSG in a month or something. But oh, you feel like this that could have been his last Champions League game. Neymar is injured; his ankle is terrible. Messi could not have gone off down the tunnel quicker at full time. <laughs> I I I looked out for where he was. You, there's there's usually the tussle for his shirt. Uh, I, I think I saw Jamal Musiala going after it. Um, but Ike, there was a, a small gathering of PSG players who came over to thank the fans. Lionel Messi wasn't part of it. And neither actually was Kylian Mbappe, which surprised me a little bit. But yeah, I didn't get the feeling that Lionel Messi's heart was left out on the pitch there last night. In terms of Bayern, that they are clearly one of the favourites of the competition now that you know they're not having it all their own way in the Bundesliga which is exciting and in many ways I guess that might push them to keep 
every week they've got to play, right? Because Dortmund are really pushing them and that might help them. I think that when you look at the other teams left in the competition, Bayern will see themselves up there with Manchester City and Real Madrid, even if neither of those teams are through just yet. They still have some gears to go. Uh, this the, the fact that they are through to the quarterfinals now and that they've overcome a team who they would see themselves, in terms of stature at least, alongside. But, you know, Bundesliga success is, is taken for granted, uh, as, as to is being among the best sides in Europe. And I think qualifying to the next stage with the chance of getting a team with not quite the same status should should send some alarm bells ringing after what happened to them against Villarreal last year but yeah it's it's going to be intriguing to see how Julian Nagelsmann um goes about it because you know he's still making some big decisions the fact he played Stanisic last night because João Cancelo didn't have his defensive ideas down uh, enough yet is a big call to make the fact that that was only Stanisic's fifth start of the season in all competitions. And Cancelo is this player who's been brought in to, to do a job, you would think, for these exact games. And sure, he's versatile. So does that mean he can't play in a back three uh, as, as a centre-back? Apparently not. Uh, albeit when Cancelo did come on, um, albeit not at that centre-back position, uh, he he set up Serge Gnabry for the second very late on. So, you know... That's a big call. And for Julian Nagelsmann, it's about managing the environment around Bayern Munich as well. There had been huge talk around around his job, which is why it kind of stunned me a bit when he <laughs> when he was playing so dumb about it. He, he's definitely a superb tactician. And I, the fact that he was able to sort things out last night um, in mid-game, not every coach has that as many frustrated football fans will tell you. So, yeah, I'm positively intrigued what they're going to do going forward. The fact that Dortmund are keeping the heat up under them in the Bundesliga, I think, is a good thing, but also for the Bundesliga title race, because I think there's a greater chance of Bayern Munich dropping points if they are still in Europe as well. Yeah. Uh, a note on Ashraf Hakimi. He's facing a criminal investigation after an allegation of rape was made against him, according to his lawyer. Uh, the 24-year-old, quote, firmly denies all the accusations against him, welcomes the investigation because he finally has the possibility to defend himself. Uh, just a bit of reaction from the uh, the Chelsea-Dortmund game. Drew says, I have an idea for penalty kicks to solve the issue of encroachment when kick takers take slow or stuttering runs. My suggestion is the referee blows twice. On the first whistle, the penalty taker can start their approach and or take the shot however they like. The keeper must remain on the line and the other outfield players remain outside the box. This is basically the current rules. On the second whistle, after, say, three seconds, if the player hasn't taken the shot, then the goalkeeper can move off the line and other players can encroach, even taking the shot or clearing the ball if it hasn't been kicked yet. This would mean there is a window for the penalty taker to take their shots and if they stutter, hop, whatever, too much, there are consequences. Sounds a bit, Barry, like gladiators. <laughs> Kai, you will go on my first whistle. The rest of you, you will go on my second whistle. Give them all pugil sticks. <laughs> Silly nicknames. Um, anyway, I like the idea, uh, but it's clearly nonsense. Thank you, Drew. Michael says, what next for group captain Parker? Scott Parker has been officially sacked as manager of Club Brugger after just 12 games in charge. Uh, he's been fired twice in the same season. A very short statement on the club's official website read, Parker, 42, was appointed as Club Brugger's new head coach on December the 31st, replacing Carl Hofkins. Before coming to Jan Bradel, the former England international was at the helm for teams like Fulham and Bournemouth. Parker won two of his 12 games for club. End. So there we are. Is that it? They didn't even thank him for his service? Tremendous. I don't know. Archie is a, you know, I don't know if you're a Scott Parker acolyte, but um, I feel. I put something out on Twitter yesterday asking for people's opinions. I don't think I've had this many responses on something. <laughs> I had 70 replies to what do people think about Scott Parker? He, he brings up a lot of emotions in, in people, particularly Fulham and Bournemouth fans. And I think tr trying to sum up what I got back from it, because I, as a Fulham fan, I don't mind him so much. I can understand why why he left. 
because dealing with the Fulham hierarchy in terms of transfers has not always been an easy thing. But I think people have something against the slow, ponderous possession football that he plays, albeit it has ultimately been successful. But from the point of view of Fulham and Bournemouth fans, it's about how their squads were much better than the results that Scott Parker got would show. And he'd he'd be much more in favour of of going for a a 1-0 rather than than risking it and trying to be adventurous at times. And, And the key thing as well was that I got from across the board was how he would never say that he was at fault and would be throwing his players under the bus most notably with Bournemouth after that 9-0 defeat to Liverpool earlier this season. So when you look at the Fulham squad now, if you look at the players that he had at his disposal and what Marco Silva's been able to do with similar things and indeed the fact Parker had people who've gone on and been successful in Premier League elsewhere like Joachim Anderson, then yeah, um, it, it doesn't look too good for his work. Uh, Rory says uh, there's Europa League and Europa Conference League uh, tonight. We'll obviously cover anything superbly exciting on Monday. We'll probably forget. Uh, Rory says, hi, Max and the team. In case you missed it, I just wanted to flag West Ham's classy International Women's Day gesture when members of the West Ham first team prepared for their tricky away tie against AEK Larnaca in the Europa Conference League on Thursday whilst wearing tops emblazoned with the names of their own female icons. Not their actual names, rather family roles they play to the men in their lives. I think Michael Antonio had Serena Williams, actually on the back of his shirt. Um, I particularly enjoyed Aaron Cresswell's homage, said Rory, pictured below with mum, wife, nan <laughs> on his back. Uh, the sentiment is there. I'm not quite sure how that ever got the green light from the PR team at the London Stadium. Oh. Love the pod and all the best. Oh, no. It's a bit um, Wales, <laughs> golf, Real Madrid, oh. isn't it? Almost the entire squad just had mum on their shirts, though. I mean... I think there was one player who didn't. It was a bit. I know, like, it's a nice gesture, isn't it? It's just wife is funny. I mean, I guess you you don't have enough space to say mum. I don't know what Miss Aaron Cressel's wife is getting. Maybe it's I mean, Janet. Mum, Janet, brackets, she's my wife. Nan. You don't have enough space on the back of your shirt. It just looked, it was a bit like when, um, didn't, uh, didn't Lord Sugar uh, like sign a, a birthday card to his wife? Alan Sugar, because <laughs> someone just handed him the card and he just signed it. And you're like, you know, by now, sure, presumably you can do your own name, just your first name to your partner. I think it's it might have been nice if they were nudged, all of them, to maybe pick someone from outside their family. Not that everyone shouldn't admire and love their mum, but the point of the, <laughs> the day might be to, you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But, you know, I do like mum, wife, nan. You know, everyone covered. Um, I, I can confirm that. Aaron Cresswell's wife is called Jessica, possibly mm-hmm. referred to as Jess, which is yeah. the same number of letters as wife. That is true. But then people have said, who is Jess? Mum, Jess, Nan. We just well, don't know. But we all say, know now. It says here her name is Jessica Unsworth, which now makes me wonder, is Aaron Cresswell David Unsworth's son-in-law? son-in-law. I mean, he probably isn't, but uh, yeah, you never know. We never know. Uh, Right, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll look ahead to the Premier League at the weekend and any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So the Premier League is back this weekend. Leaders Arsenal go to Fulham, Archie. I mean, you must be disappointed with that Brentford result. Do you think you have have a chance? It's quite important. That Brentford result is frustrating in your in your you know, your push for Europe. It's frustrating as a Fulham fan to lose to Brentford. They are Mm. our little rivals. Um, (laughs) um, But, you know, uh, like trips to B&Q can be frustrating. So, um, yes, that is a reference to the stadium. Look, the fact we are without João Palinha was... I think also pretty telling. He's a very important player. And the fact that he's going to miss the Arsenal game as well is not great. There is a certain amount of bite, uh, albeit a costly bite, when it's brought you 10 yellow cards through the season um, that that he brings. I still think that, that there's enough there to, to, you know, cause Arsenal some problems. But 
Alexander Mitrovic looks a bit out of sorts. Uh, his his body language is a bit disappointing. Sometimes he could be a bit more motivated. So, but like, if if that's the right phrase, he he looks not quite the same player, or not not the same player who started the same season with with such vigor. And since coming back from the World Cup, I think he's looked a bit out of sorts. So, yeah, but I mean, look, the form Arsenal are in and the belief that they have. It's a good season, Max, if, if we're above if we're above 18th. I, I, th- I think that, sadly, Brighton and Brentford are, are better teams than us. I have no idea how we beat Brighton. Still, no idea. No, but, no, m- that was amazing, wasn't it? Ma- Mano Solomon is quite good as well, by the way. Meanwhile, Nicky, um, I, I, we had a long discussion about whether Destiny was a, existed on Monday, but I don't know how after Reese Nelson hammered that one in. I mean, you must have thought it's ours now. <laughs> I absolutely didn't, but I did talk to my brother about it and said, like, that feels like one of those mo- moments that in the movie proves you're going to win it. In a movie, mm. it does, but the unfortunate isn't a movie, and it's perfectly possible Arsenal will lose to Archie's Fulham uh, this weekend coming up. I'm not managing them. <laughs> thankfully (laughs) I can't remember enjoying a football moment as much as that one um for what I can but not for a long time it was it was a pretty special way to 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 win a game and um it's been an an extraordinary journey but I I uh maybe I'm just too uh maybe I'm just too superstitious but I I can't possibly think that Arsenal are going to win this yet maybe if we get to the last day and we're four points clear I'll think about it (laughs) fair enough um City go to Palace Barry so I I guess most people think we'll be as you were come come Monday uh you'd expect so Crystal Palace are not very good are they but I was about to say Sellers Park is a difficult place to go it isn't (laughs) it used to be (laughs) It might be again at some point. It it looks like the kind of game City could drop points in. Yeah, but they probably won't. You're right. Elsewhere, look, Bournemouth, Liverpool, Everton, Brentford, Leeds, Brighton, Leicester, Chelsea, Spurs, Forest. Don't reading these out. You know what the fixtures are. You know, you'll know the ones. We'll talk about them all on Monday. But it's an interesting set of fixtures, isn't it? Let's do a tiny bit of Serie A. Um, 35 points. Is Nicky worried that uh, at Napoli are going to be picked apart by the big money clubs this summer? Leaving and having to go back to watching 37-plus-year-old strikers scoring the odd goal against journeyman defenders at boring clubs such as Roma, Juve and Milan. Be curious to know uh, where that message came from, if it's from a supporter of a Premier League club and wonder how Premier League clubs have done against Serie A clubs in the Champions League this season before they go giving it the uh, the big talk. Liverpool That's didn't do so great against Napoli either. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's definitely an expectation for me that Napoli will will get picked apart a bit this summer. How how far it will go remains to be seen. I, I always say this, Aurelio De Laurentiis is not a soft touch. I think in his sort of negotiating style, he's probably up there with Daniel Levy as one of the people who I think of who does not let something somebody leave for less than they're worth. And so the price for Victor Osman will be substantial. The price for Kvaratskhelia would be substantial. Does that mean they won't both go? No, it just depends on on who's going to go and put the money down. I think Kvaratskhelia specifically has an idea in his head about Real Madrid and whether or not Real Madrid are going to come in and make that offer this summer. I, I almost see it more possible for him to stay just because this is really year one of him having that breakthrough. And so perhaps he gets the second season to to move on. Osimhen has been there three seasons now. And I think this is, it's kind of the moment you expect it to happen. He's having his best season by far. He's staying healthy. He's scoring just bucket loads of goals he's absolutely brilliant and yes I I expect someone to come along perhaps even a newly owned Manchester United who knows but someone to come along with a a very big bucket of cash that De Laurentiis can't say no to and it will be a shame um if that is what happens but I mean that's that's football that's the the modern game and and there isn't enough money in Italy to keep players um when the biggest clubs come along uh, Stroman says, Nikki tweeted about Mourinho's accomplishments at Roma already. Can she take us inside Stadio Olimpico and talk about the atmosphere and passion he has awakened? Yeah, I mean, there was, I mean this is prompted by a, a clip I retweeted yesterday that the, the league put out of um, the pre-game sort of moments before Roma's game against Juventus at the weekend. And unlike so much of Serie A's marketing, which has for years not been great, they're trying harder recently and they are making some improvements, but this was, I thought, just really effective marketing because it just shows you that in amongst all these 
37-year-olds that apparently some of our audience are not very impressed by Max. Serie still has lots to recommend about it, including the Stadio Olimpico, when it's full, for me, is one of the most atmospheric stadiums I've ever been to. I, I think on a, on a big night, it's one of those stadiums that makes your hair stand up. And I think that Mourinho's greatest achievement at, at Roma, and it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows, but his greatest achievement by far is that he's got that fan base wanting to be there and pack it out. And so what this clip does from that, again, the, the game against Juventus, it's just the club anthem before kickoff. But if you've ever been there for that anthem when there's 60,000 people there, it's one of those anthems that just hits different. Like it builds up. Is it is it better than Sunshine on Leith? I mean, that is, <laughs> that is I, so they, they did it yesterday or the other day and I saw it and it just, it moved me after having watched Spurs be so abject. Is it up there with that? For me, it's up there with with you'll never walk alone at Anfield on a on a big night. And and I you know I think I've probably said this on the podcast before. I still remember sitting next to Andy Hunter of of this parish, of the Guardian, before the second leg of Liverpool's Champions League semi final against Roma. And I hadn't got to the game at Anfield, but I sat there right next to him for the game at, at the Olympico, and he said, "I think this is louder than Anfield." So it, it's really something when it's full and when it's and when it goes off like that, and it just yeah it builds up to this crescendo where the whole crowd give it that extra oomph for the last oh man oh man it uh, Mourinho has brought that back Mourinho the football it's, it's interesting because the football doesn't necessarily make you think it the football is Mourinho football they've conceded only 21 goals but they've only scored 32 all, all season so yeah they're, they're, they're classic Mourinho ball low block underwhelming at times but the sort of attitude of if you're all in I'm all in that he's brought to that club is is what's so compelling and so so Rome about it. I think, you know, he's brought into that idea that Rome loves to have of, yeah, you know, the big sort of cities up there in the north, Milan and Turin, they're always sneering at us, even though we're the capital, they're richer, but they sort of don't get that when we pull together, we can do this thing. And 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 that's so Mourinho and it, it, it fits. He's really sort of connected, I think, with that fan base. He just needs to find somebody who says everyone's against us. He's like, yes, yes. I'm in. No, but yeah. yes, really, yes. And, and 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 I was you know saying this as well. I, I think the Maurizio Sarri, funnily enough, is a perfect fit to Lazio as well. I think the two of them in Rome identify with their clubs in a way that you don't always see with with, with managers. Uh, Archie to Germany. Give me two minutes of gold on the Bundesliga, please. Starting at the bottom of the table, it's tense, Max. There's one point right. between the bottom five. In fact, the bottom oh, four good. are all tied on 19 points. Hoffenheim, Excellent. who nobody thought were going to go down, are on a 13-match winless run in which they've changed their coach. And yeah, everyone would kind of like them to go down because they're seen as being a plastic club. Schalke, on the other hand, have managed to come from nowhere. And after a quite brilliant set of four consecutive nil-nil draws. They managed to find a goal and they've now won their last two games. And they are playing Dortmund at the weekend in, yeah, the biggest derby, the mother of all derbies uh, in Germany. So that's pretty exciting. Also because their coach was at Bochum earlier this season, which is literally 10 miles down the road from from Gelsenkirchen in Schalke. Uh, this guy's called Thomas Reis. And he had an offer to take over Schalke in the summer, rejected it. Stayed the first seven games at Bochum, got sacked, and then was like, well, screw this. And then when Schalke sacked their coach, he went to Schalke and has now revived them. So there's that. Uh, at the top of the table, the title race is thinned out. You have Bayern and Dortmund level on points, 49 each. Union Berlin, five behind. They lost the big game away at Bayern uh, the other weekend. It, it's between Bayern and Dortmund now. Bayern's running, I would say, is a lot friendlier than Borussia Dortmund's. Dortmund have injuries to key players. Gregor Kobel will return. But the fact Julian Brandt's out right now, Karim Adeyemi's coming back. I think Bayern, surprisingly, Max, still have the edge in this title fight. But it's it, it's very exciting. Chris says, if Gary Lineker does stick to football, what would the pod's go-to things to sticking to be? Uh, Barry, should you stick to football? Do you stick to football? I find this whole Gary Lineker thing, it's just appalling. A, that he has to serve as the opposition to the government. <laughs> and B... He's that, taken over from uh, Marcus Rashford, Baz, to be fair. Yeah, so many so many people are idiots are getting their knickers in a twist over him having an opinion on Twitter. And uh, an opinion I completely agree with, I hasten to add. 
Yeah. William says, Max, there's another notable who posted against the Tories refugee plan. How long do you expect to be employed? Well, hopefully at the Guardian, quite a long time. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> and like the, to the people saying Australia has terrible immigration laws. Well, yes, I've also said they are bad. Like, you know, you, you are able to comment on things not within your own just tiny anyway i presume this audience tend to agree on these matters humanity seems to be a good thing to have uh, todd cantwell was trending after he put in a good performance last night do you know who he plays for barry rangers well done uh harry says uh, this starts off like it's not a question but it ends as one i just visited cologne for the first time i tried kirsch does archie agree that it's indistinguishable from pills hellas most other german beer no, it's. It, okay. I think it's pretty distinct. I mean, it, it, it's a bit sweeter. I, I'd say that's what a lot of people say, and it's a lot smaller as well. You usually get it if, if you're drinking it properly. You get it in um, these little thing called Stanger, and uh, yeah, you, you, you're meant to drink it in in three sips, and it's served in a small glass to keep it cold. Dave says, as a continually anxious Evertonian, I'm loving the distraction the pod brings more than ever these days. Monday's episode had me chuckling out loud on my walk home from school with the chat around Phil Billings' probable nickname of Paperless. I don't really know much about rugby coach Die Young, but if his mates don't call him Live Fast, I'd be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> keep up the good work and keep not talking about Everton, as that will surely mean we're squeezing towards mid-table obscurity, ready to mount a challenge to regain our cup next season. And finally, Rich says, would you be so kind to mention my team Stevenage, Borough, not FC, who are doing exceptionally well this season. From 22nd last season... To automatic promotion this season is a huge achievement. Up Steve Evans and up the borough. I thought they'd become Stevenage, but maybe uh, I, I bow down to Rich's greater knowledge. Yeah, doing very well in uh, League Two. And uh, uh, Sorry, just be before you sign off, just a Jessica Unsworth latest. All right. Aaron Cresswell having wife on the back of his shirt. I can mm. reveal that on her Hindu in Mykonos, uh, Jess yes. Unsworth... Wore a white trouser suit and the blazer had Mrs. C daubed on the back in what appears to be black paint. And she was also carrying around a blow up doll wearing an Aaron Cresswell shirt and pictured goosing it uh, behind. So I'm not sure who was more disrespectful, <laughs> Mrs. Unsworth or Mr. Cresswell, <laughs> when it came to paying homage to their spouse. <laughs> Well, as long as they love each other and they're yeah. happy, who are we to judge? And uh, that'll do for today's podcast. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Archie. Cheers, Max. Thank you, Barry. Thanks. Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Christian Bennett. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian.